It's a pleasure to be back in Birmingham. It's a delightful city. It's a pleasure to be back at the Church of the Advent and to participate in this Lenten series, which I think is a great uh, ministry and great witness to the gospel of Christ. Uh, it's an unusual thing to have happen in cities these days, and I'm just so pleased to hear it's been around for 105 years and going strong. So it's a pleasure to be a part of this. As you heard, uh, I'll be uh, preaching tomorrow as well, and I decided to pick two texts that seem to be contradictory, which is what we often find in Scripture. Uh, tomorrow, it will be based on Psalm 119.1, Happy are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. And today, the text is, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. So, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. As you get up in years, uh, doctors recommend an annual physical. This is wise advice, we all agree, and uh, most of us vow to follow it. But we, we delay, we procrastinate, we never quite get around to doing it, and before you know it, it's two, three, five years before we've had our annual physical. And there are good reasons for the procrastination. It can be pricey. We'll have to undress and let another human being just see how overweight we are or how aged our body has become. We'll have to endure uh, humiliating poking and prodding in places we don't like to be poked and prodded. And then we'll take tests, the results of which we may not actually want to hear about, revealing that something else has gone wrong. I mean, I recently took some medical tests to determine if some bleeding I was experiencing was a sign of cancer. Naturally, this sort of thing can fill one with a certain amount of anxiety and fear. And there were a few sleepless nights as I wondered what radiation or chemo might do to me, and if such procedures would even help, and uh, did I get out enough life insurance for my wife, and how would she live alone? And of course, there's the self-centered thoughts. So what are they going to say about me at my funeral? <laughs> and would enough people show up to justify my life? Still, we all agree that uh, physicals and medical tests are a good idea. We should know what's going on with our bodies. So we do them with grim face and resolute will, but we do them. The season of Lent is upon us, and we uh, are asked to do some pretty uncomfortable things like fasting, like self-denial, like self-examination. That's uh, self-administered soul physicals. And we know it's good for us, like vegetables or like a company audit or like the indignities of a thorough annual physical checkup, all those things we so love and look forward to. And in self-examination, though, we, we look deeply into our souls, excavating new layers of our sin wretchedness. Now, we don't like it, but we do it. We believe it's good for us. It will make us better people. If this is what it takes to become a more faithful follower of Jesus, so be it. I mean, uh, this, is not, this is what Jesus meant by dying to the self. No, doing things you hate because they, you know they're good for you. So let the self-examination begin. And so you jump in and you start digging around in the mud and the muck of your soul, and you begin to discover or rediscover some, some painful things about yourself. That you are, for example, more self-centered than you usually imagine. That even your acts of kindness are often nothing but attempts to bolster your image or are prompted by mere duty instead of genuine love. 
or that you're more fearful about your future than you had suspected, and this is why you find it so hard to trust God with your finances, or that you are not merely disobedient to God, but that really, most days, you don't even want to be obedient when you're honest. And some days you even resent God for putting so many commandments in your path to obey. The abundant life feels more like toiling away with a prison gang on a hot and humid summer day. And then you dig deep enough and you begin to wonder, am I even a Christian? I mean, many days the main reason you stick with it is because, well, just in case there is this thing called judgment, you want to cover your bases. So... So basically, you discover that on many days, you're a faithful follower of Jesus Christ because of the most self-centered reason. You just want to save your skin. See, these are the sorts of uncomfortable things we find when we begin rummaging around our souls. So no wonder we don't do it except during Lent and then only the occasional Lent. So why does the church so heartily recommend the practice? if it produces nothing but anxiety and doubt and guilt. What does the church see that we may fail to see? Well, simply this, that it is an opportunity not just to see your sins more clearly, but to see the gospel more clearly still. It's, it's as if your spouse has discovered long ago that you're having an affair. She says nothing over the months because she knows you'll just lie about it and that will only compound the problem. So she waits patiently for you to come around, acting like nothing is amiss. Then one day, you've had enough of the hiding and deception, the living of two lives. Now you've justified your behavior over the months. You deserve this. This woman really understands you and you have a right to be understood and this woman can fulfill you and you have a right to be fulfilled and so on and so forth. But you finally realize that you're just being self-centered, that you have broken your marriage vows, and you have been unfaithful to your wife. And so you finally decide to make a clean break of it. No matter the consequences, you're going to clear up your conscience. You're scared because you know how hurt you'll be, how angry, and you don't have a lot of confidence that the marriage is going to survive this. But it must be confessed. Your conscience must be clear. And so, as you begin, you, you hem and you haw, and you go, oh man, this is a lot harder than I thought it would be. But finally, you blurt it out. I've had an affair. And then you brace yourself for that look of shock, the tears, the torrent of anger that is about to erupt. But uh, it doesn't erupt. And your wife simply says, yeah, I, I know. I actually have known since the beginning. This, this is just another sign that you are indeed a selfish and weak person. And I knew that about you when I married you. But, but I forgave you. But, uh, but why? Why have you been stuck it out with me? Why have you continued to be faithful and loving and kind when I've been nothing but a liar and a, and a cheat? Well, it, it's because I love you. And I decided long ago to forgive you and figure out a way to live with you the way you are. Now, this analogy beggars belief, doesn't it? I mean, what wife would have the courage, the perseverance, the wisdom, and the grace to act like this? No offense, ladies, I don't know of any. And gentlemen, if the table were turned, I don't know of any man who could be so gracious to an unfaithful wife. But this 
is exactly what the gospel tells us is true about God's reaction to us. He has known for some time about our various and sundry infidelities, our selfishness, our resentment of him, our hypocrisy, our using him to merely save our own skin. And when in the process of self-examination we discover and then admit such things in prayer, it's hardly as if God is alarmed or shocked or disgusted. He just says, well, yeah, I've known about this for some time. I forgave it a long time ago. My habitual self-centeredness, well, forgiven. My fear and lack of faith, forgiven. My resentment of righteousness, forgiven. My using you merely to save my own skin, forgiven. In self-examination, we discover what God has long known and long forgiven. The Apostle Paul loved to wax eloquent on this point, that in Christ, all is forgiven. In in, uh, 2 Corinthians, he says... If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. In Romans, he says, For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For no one will, uh, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And then later in Romans, the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by that grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Justification, that's the key, isn't it? I mean, the reason we don't do self-examination is because we'll realize in that, uh, in that discovery how paltry our efforts at self-justification are. We'll realize afresh the depth of our sin and the absolute hopelessness of justifying ourselves before God. We'll see there are no excuses, no explanations, no mitigating circumstances. We are guilty as charged. And we'll see afresh, if we're doing this self-examination in the context of the gospel, that we're already forgiven, already justified, and we'll be able to sing with the psalmist, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. And then note how the psalmist concludes the parallelism. And in whose spirit there is no deceit. You see, only those who understand this radical grace, that all is forgiven even before we begin, can have the freedom and courage to do a fearless and searching self-examination of their moral lives. Because only they know that there is no really no reason to hide or deny or excuse their sin. They don't have to play the pious games that we tend to play in front of one another in church, the ones we, in which we act like we're a little more holy than we really are, or at least make significant progress in that area. We don't have to skulk around pretending that we don't have a nasty habit or bad temper or that we succumb to ugly temptations. 
We can just be honest neighbors in whom there is no deceit. Because when all is said and done, we're just fellow sinners in the hands of a gracious God. But what about all that virtue we're called to strive for in Scripture? If we take this attitude, I mean, won't we become lackadaisical about the moral life? If all is forgiven ahead of time, why worry or bother at all? I mean, what's the point? Well, here's the funny thing about the gospel. Once we recognize that what self-examination is really about, it's not about our sin, but about God's grace. It's not about remorse and penance, but about gratitude. Well, it's amazing what virtues suddenly pop up in our lives. I, I told you about those medical tests that I took. Well, the tests returned a negative, no cancer. I still needed an operation to deal with the bleeding, but there was no death sentence. And you can imagine the relief and gratitude I felt all day. In fact, all day my colleagues at work uh, said I was actually a pleasant fellow to be around for a change of pace. <laughs> And if any of them would have come into my office and asked for a raise or a, a day of vacation, extra day of vacation, I would have gladly given it to them. See, there's something about gratitude that produces the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness. The reminder of sin, the revelation of forgiveness, and the reveling in gratitude. That's the point of Lent, and especially this discipline of self-examination. That's what it's all about in the end. Really, really good news. Amen.